Hey, it's Brian. Big announcement, everybody. Work in Sports is sponsoring the first ever Job Recovery Summit as part of Hashtag Sports Virtual Conference. We are so excited to be partnering with Hashtag Sports on this incredibly important initiative. Get this. Registration is free. Yes, free. There is no excuse for you not to attend. I want you all there. I will be hosting multiple panels and I'm bringing together an all-star group, some of your favorite podcast guests of all time. I've got confirmations from John Ferguson, VP of People and Culture from Monumental Sports and Entertainment, Callie Franklin, who, when I interviewed her, was the VP of Human Resources at NYCFC, but now she's moved to Overtime Elite, so we're going to have some really cool conversations there. Joan Lynch will be joining us, the Chief Content Officer from Working Nation. It's going to be amazing. The Job Recovery Summit takes place live June 17th, 1230 to 3.30. And like I said, I've got more people coming. Those are just the confirmations I have so far. The entire lineup of events and sessions for the Hashtag Sports Virtual Conference, which is three days, looks amazing. But the most important part is that you attend the Job Recovery Summit. So get in for that. Register today at hashtagsports.com slash virtual. Or you can also go to the events tab at hashtagsports.com, click on the Job Recovery Summit, and register. And don't forget to mention you heard all about it on the Work in Sports podcast. All right, let's start the countdown. Five, four, three, two, one, zero, ignition, liftoff. Hey everybody, I'm Brian Clapp, VP of Content and Engaged Learning at WorkInSports.com, and this is the Work in Sports Podcast. July 8th, 2010. For many, this represents the dawning of the player empowerment era. If you don't remember that date, and really, why should you unless you live in Cleveland? Hint, hint. That is the date LeBron, the decision, aired on ESPN. LeBron James announcing his intent to take his talents to South Beach in an ESPN special that was probably 10 minutes, but felt like 20 hours. Forgetting how mind-numbingly awful the show was, it did put a stake in the ground for all athletes moving forward to say, we can take control of our careers and pull the levers of our own lives. It's clear how monumental this event was, based primarily on the anger it caused in then-NBA commissioner David Stern. Stern was a very smart man and a savvy businessman, And according to many I've spoken with who knew him, he loved being in control of the league and its players. Stern pushed ESPN to cancel the decision. He didn't want this to happen. Former ESPN executive John Skipper detailed after the fact that he believed Stern didn't like it, probably because the player was in charge here. And there it is, the dawning of the player empowerment era. Well... That is, if, if that's how you define player empowerment, I think I'd take a different view. If empowerment is the authority given to someone to do something, I think athletes have been empowered far before LeBron James walked the earth. Jesse Owens? He earned four gold medals at the 1936 Berlin Olympic Games as Hitler watched outraged. Others boycotted. He showed up and dominated. Jackie Robinson? Althea Gibson? Billie Jean King, Bill Russell, Muhammad Ali, they all took back their power, leveraging their abilities into change moments. It wasn't choosing what team to play for, it was choosing to change the world. I'm not trying to be belligerent. Clearly today's athletes are using their voices and power toward good causes and are affecting change in the world. 
Nothing has interested me more than in the last 10 years than the Players' Tribune, the ultimate platform for athletes to show they are more than just an athlete. Athletes today have a louder megaphone and more tools in their tool belt than ever before. But let's not forget about those who came first. What's great, though, is that the athletes are using the tools they have. And one of those tools many athletes leverage are athlete marketers. People trained and dedicated to help build the profile and brand of today's top athletes. More than just sponsorships, more than just negotiations, representation in a marketing sense, a personal branding sense, a voice. Now, one of my favorite athlete marketers is Jennifer Keen, VP of Athlete and Property Marketing at Octagon. For longtime listeners of the show, Jennifer has been here before and knocked it out of the park. And I wanted to have her back on to discuss many of the emerging sports marketing trends in 2021. We're in a very interesting time. A lot of people have innovated. A lot of new concepts are out there. And Jennifer was kind enough to join me, despite the fact she is moving from LA, from New York to LA. So when you see videos of the show afterwards, she wanted me to make it clear she's moving, not a hoarder with boxes everywhere. It's part of her look right now. Here she is, my friend, Jennifer Keen, ready to discuss sports marketing trends in 2021. Hi, Jennifer. You are the only the second person that I've had come back for a second episode. Ooh. So this is really thrilling to have you back again. Thanks for coming. I am on the honored. Show. I am honored. Thank you for asking. Well, since you were last on the show, too, you're undergoing a pretty important move, too. You're a New York girl, and now you're heading to the West Coast. How's that going so far? Yeah, I'm really excited. You could probably see there's boxes and things in the background here. <laughs> um, the move is soon. That's only a week away. Um, the pandemic just really gave me some clarity on some of those dreams and hopes and the time, basically, that the time is now for me to chase some of those um, things that I had always hoped to do. And teenage me is very excited to be moving to L.A. Teenage me, I like that. <laughs> you got to keep me, it all in perspective. Yeah. Teenage me wanted to live at the beach. Teenage me said, you know what? When my parents can't tell me what to do, I can live at the beach. The beach at the time was Nags Head, North Carolina, where I'd gone mm-hmm. every summer of my life. And, you know, I thought that I was going to get a summer job there in college. And then I got practical. And then I thought I could live there as an adult. And instead, I moved to New York and got a job. And all <laughs> so of practical. my, yeah, all of my <laughs> geographic choices have really been about where I can work. And I finally got really serious about LA and made a plan. I spent one summer in college. They spent the entire summer living at the beach in Dewey Beach in, in Delaware. <laughs> I know Rehoboth really well. Yeah, it was, it yeah. was right next to Rehoboth, just yeah. south of Rehoboth. And yeah. it was the greatest summer ever. <laughs> and I loved it. I can't believe that yeah. I don't live closer to a beach now. So I am very jealous of your move. And I think, I think reenacting your teenage dream is an awesome move. Yeah, I, I, I'm excited. There's like a lot of stress right now, but I think it's <laughs> going to be a really yeah, exciting sucks. experience. <laughs> we can be I, honest about that. Yeah, I'll be honest though. Like I am a person who likes to take her time with things. And so I made a specific decision that I was okay living among boxes mm-hmm. um, for a longer period of time. So long as it allowed me to be really thoughtful about what I take with me. Um, I am somebody who kind of fights with being you know, accumulating clutter and not wanting it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, everybody talks about Marie Kondo. I've never actually read the book, but her tips keep getting at me. And the one thing that she had said that really, really resonated with me was think of it as not what you are getting rid of, but what you're choosing to take with you 
into your future. And that really, really, it it changed my mindset. You know, it made me a lot less sentimental about things that are not worth being sentimental about. That's a really good idea. That lady sounds smart. I should read that book. (laughs) (laughs) Of course I've heard of it, but yeah. Yeah. Just like, whether it's having like 50 t-shirts and they're, you know, your event t-shirts and it's like, okay, do you wear it? Not really. <laughs> yeah. Like it's really a dust drag at this point. <laughs> so Well, good for you. Yeah. Uh, I thought since last time you were on the show, we spent a lot of time talking about your journey, your choices, kind of your career challenges, a lot of the things that go into your role um, that we could jump into some bigger trends that are happening currently. Some of the sure. really exciting things that are happening in sports marketing. Before we do that, I want to give a little bit of a refresher. So kind of take us through. You have what I think is one of the coolest titles of anybody that I've ever (laughs) interviewed. The VP of Athlete and Property Marketing for Octagon. You deal with high-level clients. You do some really cool things. So kind of give us an overview of what that actually means and looks like. Yeah, and the title is actually like it's kind of a catch-all. I think it um, it sounds specific, but it really allows me to do a variety of things that benefit Octagon clientele, um, and that's really the focus. Is is this good for a client? And so the job kind of goes into I would say three main buckets. Um, the first would be athlete and celebrity partnerships. Um, so that, you know, traditionally has meant an endorsement deal where you see the client in a television commercial or a print ad or making appearances. Um, it's obviously evolving into much more creative partnerships with, you know, NFTs and like figuring out the underpinnings of how that's going to work for your clientele. Um, another bucket would be properties. And properties can be a physical property, such as, you know, doing an arena naming rights deal, um, or it can be, um, you know, selling sponsorship patches for an NBA team jersey or another similar sports property. Um, But it's also, you know, really creative. Um, There are other properties that aren't even sports related, but are are maybe entertainment or culturally oriented. They need sponsors too. And so Octagon, my colleagues and I are... um, actively pursuing more work in the property space. The third bucket in which I tend to work, and it became a much bigger part of my work life in the pandemic, has been literary development. And while I've been working in the space for more than a decade, and I started off with children's books for then clients, uh, Chris Paul and Justin Tuck, I'd gotten much more involved in book development back in 2011. And as the world was really shutting down uh, in 2020 due to the pandemic, I said, you know, I can sit here and I can say, woe is me and, you know, events are being canceled and commercial shoots are being canceled, or I can get creative with how I use my time. And I've always wanted to spend more time working on literary development. Um, And so that's really what I did. while we were figuring out virtual events and how to really, you know, make them work for our clients and their partners, I spent time looking at our client roster and saying, you know, who is someone that I have wanted to develop a book with and didn't really have the time to do so before because it was going to take that time. I don't represent, as a literary agent, I don't represent clients the same way that a freestanding literary agency does. I don't just look at a book proposal and say yes or no. I have to sometimes develop and educate clients about how books are made and sold. And so it's a time consuming process, but very worthwhile, very fulfilling. Then also to develop 
projects with our existing clients like Bill Cower. Um, I'm sure you've seen me posting on social media. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Bill's memoir is just a couple of weeks away from coming out. It's being published in partnership with Atria Books. And so that process for me was, you know, my colleague Kelly Wolf telling me, you know, I think Bill is really ready to revisit the idea of writing a book about his career um, now that he's been named to the Hall of Fame. That feels kind mm-hmm. of like a pinnacle worth celebrating. And I was like, my God, I'm so excited. Like he's got so many, even if he only told football stories that could fill a book, even Mm -hmm. if he only told leadership stories that would fill a book. But the reality is coach dug very deep and got very personal talking about, you know, not just about what it was like for him to be a coach and to win a Super Bowl, but what was like for his late wife and three daughters to make those sacrifices where you have a dad and a husband who is, really having to be single-minded at various days, weeks, months of his work life and then come home and, you know, be the dad and and figuring out how to balance that and different opportunities that it presented, um, but also sacrifices that were made. And, you know, he really chose to get personal. He's never talked extensively about losing his wife. His wife died from malignant melanoma. I remember you know, he also lost his father, who was really the guiding force in his life, in addition to his mother, who's still with us, fortunately. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he lost his wife and his father within a three-month period, about 10 mm-hmm. years ago, maybe close to 11 now. Um, and so I was really surprised. You know, he worked with an excellent collaborator by the name of Michael Holly. And Michael really earned his trust. Like, you know, it's Mm -hmm. a good collaborator. Only part of it is about the, this quality of writing. It's really about the trust and being able to get into your partner's mindset and express the words on, on the page in an artful way that sounds authentic to the subject. Um, and so I honestly, I think that we've got brothers for life in Michael and Bill, Mm. um, you know, they work so well together. And our hope is that the book will be a massive success when it comes out and that we get to do more books with them together. Um, you know, perhaps it is a book that's focused more specifically on leadership um, and how all of us can develop those qualities in ourselves based on the experiences that Bill has lived so far. You can see how excited you get and hear it in your voice too when you talk about the literary side. I'm serious. And I definitely want to dig into that more because I do think that's a very interesting thing that's taken place over the last year. So we will definitely circle back to that. But I love that when you can see somebody getting excited about something, it's like, I want more. So we're going to talk about that. Let's circle back to one of the first pillars and buckets you talked about, which is the athlete branding and athlete marketing side. More and more athletes are acting like their own media agency. They're controlling their own personal brand. They're using their own methods of getting their voice out there. As a fan, I think it's pretty cool. It's fun to be able to say them behind the scenes. It's fun to be able to hear them in their own voice. As a marketer, what do you think of this trend? I have really seen this evolve. Um, You know, as we know, as you know, from the last time that we talked, my background is that I worked at the NBA um, at a pretty junior level. And at the time, I can remember, you know, players and even even later when I switched to the agency side, the relationship between the NBA, the NBA players and the Players Association was such that, like, 
being involved with the Players Association was kind of seen as being a hassle for some of the players. And I remember them having to say, like, you know, we need a player rep, you know, from the Knicks or from the Nets. And mm-hmm. it was kind of a nominal thing, but they needed to do it, you know, flip it. And now you see players, you know, I think of Chris Paul, for one, who is a very informed and educated player. You know, he's he's a I don't think he's the president anymore, but he's, you know, super involved in union matters. Yeah. And but it's also the, the great part about it is it was also kind of a, a conflicted relationship at many times with David Stern and Billy Hunter. And, you know, it seems like it's grown into a much more collaborative relationship with Michelle Roberts um, and um, Adam Silver. And the players are, as a result, like, I think the perception was that players only just wanted to play their sport, you know, and worry about that. Whereas now the mindset is much more like, no, of course we want to have control, you know, the more than an athlete saying, you know, Mm -hmm. and philosophy is so important right now. It applies not just to social justice conversations and how we perceive a largely black constituency, but also to say like, you know, no, don't, you know, don't minimize my role in this. I'm not just an athlete. You know, I am a leader. I am educated. I am informed. Mm-hmm. And I think that's super exciting. Um, you know, and I, I can't help but think, you know, it's not that the players ever probably wanted to just play sports, you know, there's systems in place that probably wanted them to just, you know, play, you know, and go home. Um, and so I think it's, it's wonderful to see that evolution um, and to see how that changes, you know, for a marketer or for a player agent, obviously there's some vulnerabilities there as far mm-hmm. as, you know, playing, you know, what kind of role and you have to really evolve, you know, you're obviously, you were never the boss um, of the athlete in terms of their, you know, their off court life. Never, I would never ever imagine that I was. But it's really important that you're working with clients who are able to communicate interests and passions and, you know, work with you on setting strategy for, you know, the long-term vision for their career. Um, You know, and I think that's one area where I'm lucky because I do work with a small group of, you know, really best-in-class athletes and celebrities. So, you know, if I'm trying to be all things to all people, earlier in my career, you know, my job was to find lots of deals for lots of athlete clients, you know, whether, you know, it was the 13th guy on the roster, you know, and he wanted a free car. That was my job. (laughs) And I did it. You know, now I work with a much smaller group of elite personalities and, you know, Emmett's always been, Emmett Smith is, is my long-term client and a long-term Octagon client. And he has always been very clear you know, he's not a, a select, sit back and collect the checks kind of guy. He's very hands on, not just with managing his post football career, but in creating new ideas, new enterprises. You know, mm-hmm. he's long had a company called Prova that works in the authentication space for rare and unique items. But he hasn't just like said, you know, I'm going to sell this idea to other people. He's really brought it along as far as like blockchain technology. Um, You know, he saw the marketplace long before a lot of other people and said like, no, I have to update this idea. And even if that means scrapping components of it to help it grow in a modern way. And I think that, you know, 
I think people discount athletes and, and celebrities, you know, saying like, oh, you know, one little piece of the business. But the reality is, no, they probably know the business better than, than you know, many of the athletes. I mean, the athlete um, marketers, yeah. um, you know, it's important that we respect that, support that, listen, mm-hmm. grow, change. Um, you know, my goal is to be an expert on a lot of topics that are relevant to the business, but I, I can learn from athletes just as much as I can learn from, you know, other executives or, you know, the media. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you mentioned your elite client list. I won't do the name dropping for yeah. you. You can do that if you want, <laughs> but I'll tell everybody listening. It's elite. It's pretty uh, impressive. I'm so lucky. <laughs> Um, you know, as I was telling you during the lead up, you know, I, the first client that I got to see as the pandemic restrictions started to lift is David Robinson. And, you know, I first worked with him years ago and I, I think he's one of those clients that he really unfolded for me, you know, much like a flower that blooms. The more I get to know him, the more impressive and amazing he is. He's, yeah. you know, the quiet example of more than an athlete. He always has been, you know, going to the Naval Academy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, this is obviously uh, a very intelligent man, a very hardworking man. But he's also like the coolest, like his hobbies. Yeah. Um, are so interesting. He's been, you know, he was learning to play the flute. I think this was like two years ago. I was going to say, did he do piano yeah. for a long time oh, too? He's, very, he's, he's like very good. Yeah. Right now, guitar is his passion. And okay. he's a guy who is constantly seeking information. And so he's like, I, I learn a lot from YouTube. And he'll, you know, study some, you know, guitar tutorials on YouTube. And he likes to do Muay Thai boxing. And, you know, obviously the Oh pandemic. my gosh, that sounds scary. Can you imagine the limbs, limbs <laughs> He's akimbo? a huge man with these huge limbs. He would destroy me just well, looking at me. Well, you know, I don't want to tell his secrets. But he's so kind. He's so kind. But like one of his fellow um, Muay Thai students is another um, legendary spur. So imagine twice as many limbs flying. Oh, gosh. I I would pay to watch that. That's what I said. I was like, why don't we do a celebrity fight night? And yes. it can be an amazing fundraiser. And he just kind of, I laughed, would pay, so. <laughs> I would pay for that. I'm sure we can get a lot of people to sign up for it. Yeah. That would be amazing. But really that's been one of the harder parts of the pandemic is that quality time that you spend, not just with the clients, but also the brand partners. That's where you really, you can clean so much important information about what's working, what's not working, whether it's your yeah. representation, you know, relationship and opportunities, you know, a new brand that they've discovered and they would like to, um, you know, explore an opportunity, whether it's an investment or an endorsement. Um, it's something that you really, you know, you miss out on, you know, normally, you know, you go to, a speech that a client is making and you might grab dinner that night and, you know, rehash the speech and talk about new stories they might add to their, their speech or, you know, just, just, you get so much out of that, you know, one-on-one time or, you know, the whole team getting together and that's really a loss. And, you know, you know, on one hand, I think a lot of people were exhausted from constant travel and to get a break from that is, not necessarily the worst thing, but um, I think most of us are really eager to get at it because of the, you know, the quality information and the, the relationship building, um, you know. Yeah, we're, we're it's eager. hard. 
Yeah, it's it's a major loss. It's like I found myself in some environments lately, even feeling just so clunky talking to people again. Like sometimes I just feel like like I got two left feet or like three tongues. Like I'm just like bad at it. And it's I, like, I, it's, I am yeah. as well. And figuring out what to wear and what fits. Oh yeah. And <laughs> what I, fits is a good distinction. <laughs> I basically wear more black than I ever wore because I've forgotten how to put together outfits. So <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not taking many risks right now. I just, same, I, same. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's awkward. <laughs> it's, it's all very awkward. I'm so socially awkward now and I yeah. never felt socially awkward before. I know. Uh, so about a month ago, cause I do follow all of your different social channels. I keep an eye on what you're up to. Um, cause I find it interesting. I do. No. I'm not just a crazy stalker. No. Uh, about a month ago, you posted this really cool article on, on LinkedIn and it was from people magazine mm-hmm. and it was talking about how a lot of professional athletes, I think they cited like 11,000, which really mm-hmm. surprised me are posting profiles on LinkedIn and thinking about their post-playing day life. Mm-hmm. They cited Emmett, one of your Hall of Fame clients, one of your list of Hall of Fame clients. Yeah. Why is this trend taking hold? Why has this been a shift? This is really interesting to me. I mean, Brian, I would say, why is this not even, like, why is this news? Like, it's, of course they are. They, they've they never just been athletes. You know, they have always been more things. So, of course, they're going to be on LinkedIn. You know, for somebody like Emmett, he has multiple businesses. And, you know, just like I use LinkedIn for networking, so does he. That's um, crazy. You know, his other business I'm going to connect interests. with him. Yeah, totally. Okay. I'll, I'll Please tell him to connect with me. Please say, tell him to connect with me. It's not spam. I'll say it's not spam. <laughs> Thank um, you. But, like, he's very active in the real estate and construct, construction spaces. And so that's everything from, you know, site visits, you know, and site selection it's construction, bridges, parking structures, you know, all manners of concrete. <laughs> He's doing it. Yeah. And so it's important for him as a business leader. Um, and again, he's not just the person that's putting his name on there as a vanity play. This is a man who's right. constantly doing continuing education for various certifications that are required in the real estate and construction spaces. He is out there taking meetings. He is doing pitches. He's like, you know, one of his projects that he's fundraising for right now is a, um, a casino in the Richmond area. Um, it's called Live with an exclamation point if you want to look it up. There's a new press I'll release. I'll road trip down there. And, check it out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, of course, you know, he can't be, you know, an athlete on a pedestal for him to be successful in all of these areas of his life. You know, he's got to be accessible to potential business partners. And so he's, he's been very active. Um, I would also it's say so that fascinating. Yeah, yeah, LinkedIn, you know, LinkedIn to their credit are very aggressive and very strategic about, you know, building relationships with agencies like Octagon mm, um, and talking about, you know, if an athlete's going to join, let us know, you know, we can get them verified because verification matters as well. Imposters, you know, abound in different places, but also to help us establish them as thought leaders in areas outside of pure sports or entertainment. You know, one of the things that really has developed for some of our clients in recent years is not just speaking about their experiences as, you know, athletes, but to talk about matters of diversity and inclusion, what yeah. it's like to, you know, be a famous athlete, but then also to face discrimination, to face harassment, to face, you know, even from fans, you know, shocking things being said 
or to be diminished in terms of business capabilities to recognize, you know what, I'm only being invited to this meeting because of Emmett Smith, the football player, or, mm. you know, David Robinson, yeah. the Hall of Famer, you know, people are are not considering me seriously as a minority business leader. And like, you know what, I'm going to take them, I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity yeah. and I'm going to show them that there's a lot more to me. Um, so, you know, LinkedIn is, is, you know, for somebody like me who does sales and marketing and business development, like I need to constantly be working on my network, but so do these, these athletes and personalities on LinkedIn. They're there for similar reasons. I think it's fascinating because I mean, I've been around professional athletes my entire career and yet you think of it still sometimes like it's Emmett Smith. He's a Hall of Famer. He's made plenty of money. He probably can do anything he wants to do. But it's like that. And I and I understand where like some other athletes who, you know, the, the lifetime of the NFL is like three years or less. Mm -hmm. so, so like I can understand why they might have to do that kind of a move. But to hear that Emmett and David and some of these other clients that you have are still so driven it goes back to their competitive nature, I would imagine, totally. too. Some of it is just like they just need to be competing. It doesn't go away. Yeah. Just, it all yeah, makes sense. That, that, that spirit, that passion, that drive, that doesn't just go away. It gets moved into other areas of life. Yeah. Um, you know, for some people, it's coaching. You know, David West um, is a a terrific uh, client of mine who's relatively recently, um, you know, retired. And he's going to kill me if he listens to this, but so, you know, <laughs> he's, he's really passionate about coaching, not just in the sports sense, but in life and, and in education, mm -hmm. but he's also studying. He should come on the show and talk uh, about it. <laughs> oh, I'm sure he would be happy to, because he's an enterprising oh, guy should. with a ton of different, you know, business interests. He's a smart man, but he's yeah. also, you know, I worked with Tim Duncan previously and it's like still waters run deep in both of those cases, you know, Tim yeah. and David, they're both very careful about with whom and how they share their lives. And, mm -hmm. you know, but David recently posted in his Instagram stories, like grades. And I was like, whose are those? And he's like, they're mine. He got a 4.0. Um, <laughs> he's been taking, he's been taking classes at North Carolina Central. David was always focused on his education. And now like that's not stopping. Um, you know, so he's, he's somebody who will always pursue excellence, you know, excellence with the kids that he coaches. His AAU program has an incredible track record of getting kids into young men into, you know, not just great basketball programs, but educational programs and helping them succeed in life. And, you know, for, for many of them, obviously the NBA is the goal, but it's also about just being prepared for, you know, what that life is like. Um, you know, being financially astute, um, you know, mm -hmm. understanding how to protect those precious resources, those earnings that you've worked so hard, you know, to achieve. And, you know, that's a big part of his philosophy in life. You know, it's, it's so important, you know, you've heard the horror stories and, yeah. you know, even with a lot of education, even if the lot of preparation, there are always going to be scams. And, you know, the goal is for, you know, my clients to never be, you know, prey for one of them. Um, and fortunately, so far, so good. But I think each of them would probably have a story for you about an investment gone wrong. Um, sure. You know, and that's the reality of today, you know, as you're hearing athletes as moguls, you know, you hear about the successes, 
But it's also important to note that not everything an athlete or a celebrity chooses to invest his time or his money or her in time and her money in is a success. And don't get caught up in that hype machine where every opportunity that comes your way, you know, is going to be a success because of, you know, whether it's your involvement or the people that you think are worth trusting you know it's really important to do your due diligence and to have that team of advisors around you who can like poke holes and like (laughs) that's you know i tend to be a realist and so there's a lot of things that come across you know my desk and i say that sounds a bit too good to be true let's evaluate this further you know let's see the finances let's see what the track record is of the individuals involved sometimes you simply google the people and you find things about them that you would never want to associate yourself with. Um, yeah. And so just doing a, a bit of basic homework is essential and not just, you know, assuming that, you know, because another athlete is investing that you should as well. Okay. I want to get back. I want to circle back into our literary discussion. I love your love for storytelling because I'm one of those guys that reads books like crazy and I try to read non-sports stuff so often. I get into the classics and I do all this stuff because, I don't know, I just love a good story. You talked a lot about your Bill Cower book release coming up and all that's gone into that. Has it been more challenging in the last year to amplify awareness for a product like a book? Like you've talked about, you can't do the book tours, you can't do a lot of these things, or is it just forced you to be more creative in the whole process? I, I think it's the latter. I think, um, you know, the book business you know, it's a challenging business, you know, the model that that is the, you know, underpinning of book publishing um, outside of self-publishing is that it only takes a few books to be hits to support all of these other smaller books. And so, but it's shocking, but book publishers, it is and it isn't. Book publishers, you know, (laughs) the model is um, authors are paid in advance against future royalties. And as a result, you know, it's kind of like, there's a loss leader kind of model here in play. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for every book that is a massive success and it stays on the New York Times bestseller list, there's hundreds, you know, that never earn out their advance. And it's kind of the dirty secret of the of the the model. The reality of book publishing is that the big author you know national or global book tour is kind of a rarity these days. Increasing comfort with virtual events is actually a boon for authors. You know, Bill Cower, of course, we have really specific interests. Um, You know, as a team, we kind of collaborate with the publishers, publicists, and marketing team to come up with like, hey, I know you're focusing a lot on, you know, these different sports media outlets, but what would you think about pitching him to, you know, Nora McInerney's podcast, Terrible Thanks for Asking, you know, Mm -hmm. her story, I don't know if you know her story, but you know, she lost her father and she lost her husband to a brain tumor right after having a baby. And, you know, people would say, you know, ter- you know, how are you doing or like, how are you really doing? And she'd be like, terrible. Thanks for asking. Yeah. And, you know, she ended up becoming an author because she wrote her husband's obituary and it kind of went viral, you know, for its candor. It's, you know, yeah. it's humor, but it's love. And a lot of people kind of found her old blog and were like, wow, she writes really well. And the next thing you know, mm-hmm. she's writing these books. She's an amazing interviewer as well. And so I kind of feel like, you know, Bill's 
stories specifically about walking away from coaching, you know, and so it's really fun to figure out the unique qualities of each of my projects, each of my clients. And like, that's the same approach that I take for marketing individual clients as I do for books is, you know, what's the, what's the unique selling proposition here? What makes the story better, different, more interesting than some of the others? In 2020, it was clear athletes, teams, and brands were influential participants in the fight for social justice and equality. Mm-hmm. When I was coming up in the industry, it was definitely more of a shut up and play type environment. Mm-hmm. You didn't hear Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan and all these other dominant stars of the time really being quite as vocal. And it's been a nice shift. It's been it's been really welcoming and for a lot of us, myself, definitely. They were vocal, they were fearless. They didn't worry about the repercussions quite as much. Do you think this vocal activism coincided with the moment and was temporary, or do you think there is momentum and this is a powerful trend that will continue forward? I mean, I would argue that Black Americans have always been vocal and have always been fighting. I think it's that the majority white um, controlled organizations have finally realized that they can no longer be silent. Um, I think that it's really important to step aside from the white perspective and we say, oh, wow, it's, you know, it's really, it's an awakening that just minimizes the efforts of so many um, black activists. And I, I just, it's important to show that they've always been working toward um, justice and equality and white Mm -hmm. society has just minimized it. Um, And, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful for, you know, the people who haven't given up on, you know, equality and who have fought. I'm so grateful for organizations like the WNBA who realized, you know, this is our key constituency here, you know, whether it's black women, gay women, queer women, um, they recognized that they had perhaps a bigger stake in the fight than some of the more traditional league entities. Mm -hmm. And they really leaned into it. Um, They just said, you know, this is not going to be just something that we do. This is who we are. And this is the fabric of the WNBA. And we're not just going to support our players. We are going to be of the movement as well. I think that's a really good point. And it is like, it's just a very, it's a very interesting time. And for, for me personally, um, being able to engage with many uh, BIPOC leaders in, in various uh, parts of the industry, to hear their stories, to share their stories, to be able to expand upon them and have a platform for it, I think is one of the most, I think one of the most powerful things that's come out of this last year's experience. Mm-hmm. And, and through tragedy, maybe we're seeing some positivity come out of it. It's not an easy, easy topic to discuss. And, you know, we're all worried sometimes about stepping in pitfalls, but um I just think it's great to be talking about it, having the conversation. I have a t-shirt that says white silence is violence. And, you know, there's a tendency to say like, you know, for me, it's always been like, oh, it's really awkward because like, I don't want to assume knowledge that I don't have. But the reality is, you know, our friends of different races and different religions are watching and our inaction is a sign that we are not to be trusted. We are not to deserve that title of ally. We are not standing aside them and fighting for what's right. And 
I mean, I come from a pretty conservative part of the world and I know that I'm seen as kind of a radical <laughs> lefty, but I have to not care. Like I have to do what I think is right. And I have to fight for the safety, the betterment, the equality, the justice of others. Um, and I'm going to get it wrong sometimes. Like I have to just live with that and I'm going to have to apologize when I, when I say things um, clumsily. But mm -hmm. I would rather do that than to be silent and appear that I don't care and that I don't have a heart for these matters. Um, I, I just have to keep trying. Jennifer, I love this conversation. We've gotten into so many different avenues. It's so much fun to talk to you. Yep. I want to finish up with this so we can be respectful Thanks. of your time because you have work ah. to do and you have boxes to pack and you have things to do. <laughs> but I want to be respectful of that. Uh, uh -huh. We'll finish up with this. Last time yep. you were on the show we talked a lot about career advice for young people who want to get into sports marketing and maybe just some ideas in there. It was about a year and a half ago now that I think we spoke. Has anything changed longer. in your viewpoint? Has, was it was longer than that? Yeah. Uh, time is also relative. Yeah. Um, so I think we have to have like a once a year date. I think we must have stories. to. I think we have to get your next book when your new book comes out in November. Yeah. We'll have to talk again. Um, so, but seriously, in the last year and a half, as things have changed or two years, whatever it's been, things have changed. The industry's changed. Our perspectives have changed. We've contemplated life itself dealing with coronavirus. Yeah. Has anything changed for you in your viewpoint of what makes somebody successful in sports marketing? Is there any new advice, any new thoughts you have that we could gear towards our audience of, of a lot of young people trying to get into sports marketing? I mean, I don't think this is unique advice, but I think it's something that really guides me day to day. And, you know, comparing yourself to others is something that can really be harmful to your own career success, your own life success. Um, you know, I have a lot of people that I look up to and admire, but that doesn't mean I have to mirror their ways of working or living, um, you know, in, in, you know, perfect, you know, <laughs> copying, right. um, you know, there's, I think the, the message in this is that there are a lot of ways to be successful. There are a lot of ways to be good and you don't have to achieve your goals the same way that others do. Um, you know, I think the other thing is really letting yourself be malleable, letting yourself um, evolve. Like, as you've heard, like one of the passions that I've really developed in the last year has been focused on literary and, you know, I still have to balance my time and, and invest in my clients in ways that, you know, meet their career objectives, um, you know, but allow yourself to be open to those possibilities where you're suddenly like, wow, this is something, you know, I really have passion for. What can I do to make this a part of my work? And of course, that comes, you know, with time and experience, but it's a, you know, I'm, I'm probably Octagon's biggest chill at this point, but the thing that's allowed me to stay excited for 15 plus years at one company is again, the learning opportunities, the opportunities to evolve and change and grow. Like yeah. last year I went out and I, I signed several new clients, um, two that I will mention my name. One is Dr. Nzinga Harrison. She is a psychiatrist, addiction medicine expert, co-founder of Eleanor Health and a podcast host. And I heard her on a podcast and I said, this woman will change so many lives. Oh, she, cool. she, she's the antithesis of that TV show intervention. Um, she's the opposite of tough love. She is all about, you know, really healing and resources and showing that, 
you know, we all need to learn about addiction um, and how we can all do better in helping people lead healthier lives. And I cold called her and I said, I want to represent you. I said, I don't know if you have a book proposal, but if you don't have already have a book agent, I want to be her. And <laughs> we now work together. We're developing a book proposal, but I also help her with her um, speaking engagements for states, for corporations, um, because she's not just about addiction. She's all about, you know, bias, you know, racism in the workplace. But from her point of view of like really all of us trying to do better and, and what we can do to get there. Um, I also signed this young STEM influencer, Naya Butler-Craig, who is an aspiring astronaut. She is getting her PhD at Georgia Tech. And uh, she was referred to me by another client, Emily Calandrelli, a.k.a. the Space Gal, which is always, mm -hmm. you know, the best compliment that anybody can give me is, you know, suggest that, you know, you like the work that Octagon is doing and yeah. maybe they could be a fit for you. So with Naya, I'm helping her with branded content. She built up, you know, a Twitter following over 30,000, you know, as a college student talking about STEM issues. I said, I can I can help you you know, sustain what you're doing in your studies. Mm -hmm. I can help you, you know, take this to the next level. Um, we're talking about a children's picture book with a major publisher right now. Wow. And, you know, anything that I can do to kind of help her become an astronaut um, and also pay the bills along the way um, is, is really just cool. inspiring and fun. And, mm -hmm. you know, just again, I'm, I'm grateful for the chance to evolve. That's fantastic. Jennifer, thank you yeah. so much for coming on again. The returning champion back on the show again. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much to Jennifer for coming back on the show. I really like having the guests back on again because we've already cut through some of the awkwardness when you're first kind of getting to know somebody and we've kind of handled the basics of what they do and how they do it. And we can really start to get into some meatier topics. We had a really great Second interview with Joan Lynch. We had a really great second interview with Jennifer Keene. This might have to be a trend where I start bringing back some all-time favorites. So thank you again to Jennifer for coming on the show. Maybe we'll do it again next year and we'll talk about trends of 2022. If you guys are up for it, I'm up for it. All right. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. Thanks for being a part of our show and part of our community. It's important that you guys share the, how much you enjoy this program because it helps us grow. And I mean that. It does matter. We just passed 500,000 all-time downloads recently, and um, I owe all of you a lot of thanks for that. Thank you for being a part of this community. All right, let's get back to work.